so glad all of you are here. Uh, if you have kids and you want to send them to the back, you, you can do that. If you want to keep them with you, that's fine too. Uh, I do want to remind everybody, if you want to be a part of our upcoming diaper day or diaper drive, uh, that's going to be December 10th, is that right? Um, I think that's right, from 12 to 2. So what we're asking everybody to do is, like, if you're out shopping um, and you think about it, buy an extra package of diapers. We're just trying to focus really on, on the 2T, 3T size so we can bless people. We're going to give them out on that day. And uh, when you bring them in, you can just leave them here, and then we'll keep storing them until we get enough to, to help people in the community uh, with that need, uh, trying to alleviate maybe some burdens before Christmas um, to be a blessing to people. So if that's on your heart, um, you know, just keep that in your mind, and, and if you want to do that, then we would appreciate the help uh, with that. Amen? Uh, you guys Okay. I uh, I want to continue on. We've we've been in the book of Ephesians. For those of you who haven't followed along with us, um, it's going to be difficult for you to really catch up to speed. But we're going through uh, the book verse by verse. And um, how many of you've been blessed so far by by what you've seen in in the in the book of Ephesians? So if you, haven't, if you haven't heard it and you want to go back and listen to it, it's on the website, uh, proclaimingjesus.com, and there's also uh, any preferable podcast that you choose to, to listen to, whether it's uh, Android or uh, the iPhone platform or, or Google or Spotify. They should all be there if you uh, search Proclaiming Jesus Ministries. They'll pop up, and you can scroll down. There should be quite a few uh, sermons on there, and you can find the Ephesians series. So we're in chapter 4, and it's, it's, it's important. Um, gosh, mornings like this are hard because I want to just sit here and just like, you know, <laughs> just stay with the Lord. But, but I also feel like we need, to, we need to have Christ's stability of his word and his power and his knowledge in our life. Because every single day that we get closer to the return of Christ, there is going to be an increase in warfare over your life. If you think that the enemy is not out to take your soul, then you're already on the deceptive path he wishes you to be on. And if you live every day of your life assuming that just this, this is another day then you're already in the wrong mindset because every day you wake up, there is two plans for your life. There is a demonic principality that has set itself against the destruction of your mind and your heart and your family. But there's also a Father in heaven that has a plan for your good. And you have to hold on to the plan of the Lord in your life. Because as the day approaches, evil is going to ramp itself up in your life. And this is why Paul was so desperate to get his people to understand that how we live is so important to our spiritual understanding of realities of heaven and where we're headed. And the American church has done a gross disservice to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've somehow divorced the ability to have to live a certain way, but yet be able to believe whatever we want about God. And Paul makes it very clear that how you live your life is in direct proportion to your effectiveness in spiritual warfare. 
Does this make sense to you? So the context that we're trying to go through in the book of Ephesians is the context that the church is drunk on with the spiritual warfare and the power that we try to exercise over evil spirits and demonic forces. Paul addresses that at the end of the book. And so that's the angle we're coming at with the book of Ephesians. That there is a chapter 1 before a chapter 2, a chapter 2 before a chapter 3. All the way until you get to chapter 6. And everybody wants to put on the armor of God. And everybody wants to understand what it means to be able to take on powers and principalities and not wrestle with with uh, flesh and blood. But if you perform in a sense of obedience, everything from chapters 1 to 5, by the time you get to chapter 6, you're going to have this epiphany that the armor of God is already in your life. And that everything that he's instructed you to do from chapters 1 to 5 was the process of being dressed like a king. Because <laughs> it's his armor, not ours. And the fact that my God would let me wear his armor is just a humbling thing. Do you remember the story of David and Goliath? And David tried to put on Saul's armor. And it didn't fit. See, before Christ, we've always tried to wear the armor of a king. And it never fit. But the son of David became human. So that we could become like him. And now we fit into God's armor. It's amazing. Don't ask me how. This man holds the sea in the palm of his hand. And yet we can wear what he wears. It's such a privilege. Amen? I am jealous for the body of Christ because I think overall we're fairly apathetic to the work of the cross in our life. And I think that man deserves more devotion than we give him. And it's not about one day of the week. It's about you and I embodying Jesus through every battle, every torment, every trial, every situation, every thing the enemy is trying to put into your life, that you show him, the devil, the victory of Jesus and how it looks when someone wears the armor of the king and just stands. Amen. I want you to be ready when you face the master. And I don't know anybody in here that would say I'm ready right now with no regrets. Every one of those regrets are the thing that God's trying to heal in your life. So let him heal it. With me? All right. So last week we, we talked about the importance because Paul's about to get into, in, in chapter 4, he's about to get into the gifts, which is what God gives to the church for the perfection of the saints. 
Do you realize there is no Christian perfection without the administration of the offices of the gifts operating in the body? It said these five, and we'll get there. I'm going to just give you a little bit of a foretaste. But it says these five were given until we all come to the measure and the stature of Christ. In other words, it takes all five gifts in operation within a body to bring forth the fullness of Christ in one person. So this American idea that your personal relationship with Jesus is just yours and you can be so detached and live your own life is a fallacy. Because it takes people in your life to bring you to the place you need to be. Jesus Christ of Nazareth saved you by his blood. But for many of you, he used a person to bring it to your heart. You didn't even get saved. Very, very few people get saved without the intervention of a human being. It happened to me, but I'm one of the few. In fact, I don't, is there anybody else in here that got saved with nobody else leading them to the Lord? One person, two people. So we have a handful just in the whole room. Because the majority of the way that God works is he uses people to bring forth his plan. This is why his son became a man. Because he had to use people to set people free. Do you understand what I'm saying? So before Paul gets to the offices of the gifts, he sets a few standards in operation that we must adhere to before we get to that type of administration. Whether you're that person or whether you're surrendering and submitting to that person so that for the fulfillment of Christ in your life, you can be so like Jesus that you no longer need those five, but you would rather die than to be separate from them. <laughs> That's how it works. Did you hear what I said? That you come to a place in your life where those five are so operating in you that they make you exactly like Jesus and you no longer need them. But you'd rather die than to be separate from them. You choose death before division. And that's what Jesus chose. Death before division. God is so good to us. So Paul sets the standard here. In, in last week we talked about the necessity of meekness. Because when meekness is, is embodied in a human being, when meekness is embodied in a human being, then they can administrate all five offices in the way they should. Because without meekness, somebody operating in one of the fivefold gifts, they become nothing more than a brute force dictator of spiritual truth. Title doesn't give you position. It gives you the right to serve. You're the first one to suffer. If God calls you to a title, it's not so you can put it on your name badge before your name. It's an obscure reality between you and him where you know that that title is nothing more than you being brought below the people he's called you to. Because if we're going to build... Who's on the bottom? Jesus is the cornerstone. 
But the Bible says that the kingdom of God is built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. They're not on top. They're underneath. Do you understand the power of meekness? It changed the world. He had every right to come and dominate us. And with the title, you have every right to dominate, but you choose not to because of the value of humility and meekness. So Paul touches on this before he touches on this next thing that we need before we get to the gifts. So we need humility and meekness, yes? And then we need something else here. Let's look at it. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7. But to each one, he's talking about the body. Does that exclude you? But to each one, grace was given. So you operate under the grace of God. You just don't realize it. You live under the grace of God. You just don't understand it. You live under the grace of God. You just don't involve yourself in it as much as you should. You ever heard the verse in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9? We actually were there a few weeks ago. You see this connection now? What Paul's starting to do? Do you remember the verse in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9? It's by grace you are saved. It's a gift of God. Not of works. Because no one's allowed to boast. By grace you are saved through what? Faith. Do you understand that if we don't mix faith with grace, then we disempower grace from becoming our reality. So if you live under the grace of God, but you're not living in faith to that grace, you shut off the most powerful force other than love in your life. See, it takes faith to lose grace. Didn't you have to believe? By grace. Do you understand that grace was the power? It was the product. It was the move of God. It was the potent ability of God's release into your life that brought you to salvation. It was the blood and the sacrifice that made it possible, but it was the great grace was your guide to and through his sacrifice. And it took faith to receive that grace. Did it not? Did it not? So if it took grace, it took faith to receive the grace of God in your genesis, in your beginning, then it takes faith in the grace of God to continue the walk that started with this entire thing of grace. Do you understand that when Paul opens many of his letters, he says, grace and peace be unto you. Do you think it's just biblical jargon that he's opening his letter with? Or do you think he's actually releasing something over the people? See, because the word of God is the word of God, even though it comes through the pen of Paul. And so when God is speaking through Paul by the Holy Spirit, and he's writing these words, it's not a written word. It now becomes a spoken word. And what God speaks hovers over his people until they have the faith to receive it. Grace and peace be to you. See, it, 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 it comes forth from what? Apostolic authority through Paul, through the apostle. 
It comes forth to the church through apostolic authority. This is the administration of the fivefold in operations so that people can come under the headship of Jesus and be perfected in the knowledge of Jesus. And the, the apostolic uh, gift in, in this letter, in many of his letters, in the beginning of it, he releases a grace over the people so that the rest of the letter can actually be received. See, those moments when you read Scripture and you skim over those first few words because they're not important, you have to understand that that was the power that the apostolic authority released so that the rest of the letter could actually be received under the authority of grace and faith and peace. So when you read those words, you should stop immediately and throw your hands up in the air and say, grace and peace be unto me. Grace and peace be unto my family. And God raised the faith for them to receive it. Are you with me? You need grace and peace. Unto each one. Does that exclude anybody? See, it's hovering over your life right now. You're like, why isn't it there? Why can't I feel it? Because you're not believing it. You have the faith to believe it. You just haven't accessed it. It's not that you don't have enough faith. It's that you haven't worked the faith you have. According to each one of us, grace was given. Do you realize what it costs the Messiah to release grace over you? Do you realize what it costs Jesus to give you the divine influence upon a human heart with the result being seen in the life? That's what grace is. It's God so overwhelming every faculty of yours that it has a, re, a rebound in your life, some sort of reverb where it causes something in your physical body to bow to Jesus. That the grace over you in that moment is so strong and so powerful, it commands your submission. And you want to. See, let's not read over the power of the word of the Spirit of the Lord spoken through apostolic authority because the apostle is one of the fivefold gifts that God uses to bring us into a full nature and image of Messiah Jesus. Grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. What was Christ's gift? It was the fivefold to the church. It wasn't just his blood and his life. That brought you into the whole thing. That's just the beginning. Salvific reality is not ultimate reality. It's just the beginning. When you get saved, guys... You get saved the same way Jesus was born, by being overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. You were born the same way Messiah was. <laughs> but you're a baby. Salvation is a lot like Jesus being born and as an infant. He has the full capacity to be everything that he will be. But he's not quite it. And yet we rejoice over the birth. But that's when the work starts. 
And so many people stay in the object of their birth and, and, and rejoice over the salvation reality of their life, but they haven't grown one moment past it. Many of them are still struggling to even believe that God cares for them. The fact that you would be worried that God cares for you proves he's already touched your heart. <laughs> Do you think heathens think those thoughts? The fact that you are concerned about whether he cares for you or not means he's already done a work in you. just need to bow to it. Grace comes before the gifts because it takes grace to operate the gifts. You say, well, I'm not an apostle or prophet or a pastor or evangelist or teacher. That doesn't mean that you don't have a gift from God. And lesser gifts in the American mindset are not lesser gifts in the kingdom. Actually, they're greater. Many people think, well, I can't really do anything. All I do is clean the church. My Lord, if you did that with the heart of Christ, you're probably going to be seated above 90% of other people who make it to heaven. Because the greatest capacity to be like Jesus is to, is to serve with a willing heart. There is nothing done and spilled for the kingdom of God that God will not honor, that he will not touch and elevate. Amen. You see that the enemy, his whole job is to make you feel like you are absolutely garbage. When God thought you were worth the blood of his own son. See, grace was what opened up salvation to us. It's what keeps us when we're operating in the power of, of the gifts. Each one of us has been given grace. We need grace. We need to access the grace that hovers over our life. See, gifts require a divine influence upon a human heart so that the result can be seen in the life. Do you realize that grace is given to those who have gifts, not so that those who have gifts will have grace? It's given to those who have gifts so that those who have gifts will give that grace and those gifts to other people. So though you immerse yourself in that grace, you wake up to the reality that it's always for somebody else. You say, how do you know that? Well, he says it here in the next few verses. So we're constantly under this, the assault. And I use that word intentionally. We're constantly under the assault of the grace of God. <laughs> He's always trying to influence your heart so powerfully that the result is seen in how you live. See, grace mixed with faith accesses the spiritual realm.
You accessed the spiritual realm when you were born again by grace through faith. You accessed the realm other than this one when you were saved by grace through faith. You accessed the realm that was different than this one. You were born into a realm that was opposite to this one. It puts you in heavenly places instantly at the right hand of God. Instantly. Jesus is just waiting for you to believe that. So if it placed us there in the beginning, then grace through faith will place us there every other moment of our life. But will there be a battle to get there? Absolutely, because the enemy does not want you getting a hold of this. He will capitalize your thoughts and your mind and stress and worry and fear just to keep you out of that realm. Why? Because you, he knows you have access to that realm. And the last thing he wants is you living in that realm. So he tries to keep you down here. Through what somebody did to you, what your wife is doing to you, what your husband did to you, what the church did to you, what you don't have, what you didn't do, every failure that's in your life. And if he can keep you there, he robs you from the grace that God died to give you. This is spiritual warfare. It's not a bunch of waving of the arms and rebuking of chants and mantras Christianity into the, into the spirit realm. It's living in two realms at one time, but dominated only by one. That is how we fight. Does this make sense? Thank you, Father. Verse 8. Oh, are we? There? No, I'm sorry. Uh, is it? Ephesians 3. Go to Ephesians 3 8 and see if that's right. Is that right? Where are we at? Uh, can you put Ephesians 3 8 up there, Ro? I want to see uh, if I wrote this down wrong. Yes, this is where we're at. <laughs> The reason why I'm backing up is because it's the same book. These truths overlap like shingles on a roof, each one covering the next, keeping out the demonic assault sent against the house of God. We went through this, but I'm bringing you back to it. <laughs> Praise God, I wasn't off. All right. To me, he says, Paul says this. This is Paul. The apostolic authority to me who am less than the least of all the saints. Do you see the heart of the apostolic? They never see themselves above anybody. They know they're the first ones to go if Jesus requires it. To me who am the less that the least of all saints, this grace was given. Why was the grace given to Paul? So that I would preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. It takes grace to reveal the mysteries of the wealth of Jesus. 
And God gave grace to Paul, not for Paul, but for people whom Paul was to serve. Are you with me? So when the grace is hovering over your life, God's using it as a flood to be released into somebody else's. It takes grace to administer the gospel. It doesn't take our fancy words. It doesn't take our revelations. It doesn't take our knowledge or our experiences. It takes grace. Why do we need humility and meekness? Because if we don't have humility and meekness to one to another, then the gifts and offices that we're about to get into will abuse over one another. But once we have humility and weakness, guess what we still need? We need grace. Grace for ourselves. Grace for one another. And most importantly, the grace of our Father. Because one day, we'll be joined with Him again. And all of this won't matter. And when you live in heaven, you're going to live under the constant banner of love and grace. I want to be familiar with the attributes of my eternal position before I get there. I do not want to spend my life bound to fear and unbelief and doubt and depression and then get to heaven and be completely unfamiliar with everything that's here. And Jesus says, you got here, but only because I died for you. You did nothing but deny me and not believe me your whole life. This is the moment where God will wipe tears away from the eyes of his people. Because they'll have the realization of the power and the unsearchable riches that they never tapped into. Because they were too concerned with things that are now vaporized. You with me? I did it, bro. I kept talking to these guys the other day about public speaking, and I said, I'm trying to find a new way to ask people if you're tracking with me, and I, I've gotten into the habit of saying, are you with me? And I just did it again, so. <laughs> uh, you know, if you do the same thing over and over, people tune you out. Communication's uh, an art, one that I have not mastered, but I'm working on it. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 4. Oh, man. I'm doing good. I mean, not that way with time. I'm sorry. First Peter chapter 4, verse 8. Where Peter writes to his church. And mirrors and echoes the words of Paul because it's the words of the Spirit. These two didn't get together and have a meeting and decide, hey, let's make sure we're in unity. Because if we're not, one day they can lay assault against the Word of God being in conflict with one another. So make sure we share notes. I'll send you an email on Thursday. It's not how it happened. This was by the Spirit. Above all, in fact, in these few verses... Peter condenses chapters 3 and 4 of Paul's address to the Ephesians. Above all, keeping, keep loving one another. Or above all, having fervent love one for another. Above what? See, some of us need to remember this. 
above being right, above being wounded, above being hurt, above being stressed out, above all. Have fervent love one to another because love will cover a multitude of sins. Do you know why the enemy doesn't want you to operate in love? Because that's how he keeps his sin stronghold in the church. And then we go back to the garden and everybody's living from two trees, one of which we should have never eaten from, and we still do the same thing. And we're all obsessively focused on who's done what wrong to who. Or even worse, who's done everything right so that we can idolize them. Both are from darkness. Show hospitality one to another without complaining. Wow. Why? Verse 10. Because each has received a gift. Each one has received a gift. I hate it when preachers say, turn to your neighbor and say, each one has received a gift. That's me, but I'm going to make you do it. Turn to your neighbor and say, each one has received a gift, and that's me. Each one. In this version here, it says this. I want to read it in this version here. Each one has received a gift. Use it to serve one another. If you have a strength in your life, it's not so that you can dominate people around you. It's so that you can serve people around you. Use your strength. Use your gift for one another. Why? Because you're of one body. You're of one part. We addressed this in Ephesians already. You're connected one to another. To take care of your brother is to take care of yourself. To take care of your neighbor is to take care of yourself. To heal your neighbor is to heal yourself. To serve your neighbor is to serve yourself. To bless your neighbor is to bless yourself. Does it make sense? When you automatically bless your wife, you're blessing yourself. When your wife blesses you, she's blessing herself. When you bless your kids, you're blessing yourself. When you don't bless, then you rob yourself of what you ultimately desire. Each one's received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's manifold Grace. <laughs> Do you see this? Do you see what Paul's trying to say in Ephesians 4? We serve one another through the grace of God. And the grace is the influence that God has placed over your life. That so radically changed your heart. From a self-focused person to a self-sacrificial person. He goes down to verse 11. Whoever speaks, let him speak as one who speaks from the oracles of God. Whoever serves, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. So that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. He says, whatever you're doing, do it through the power of Messiah Jesus. Because when you're doing that, 
God will fill all in all. What does that look like? When every person who has a gift in the body is operating this way, it allows Jesus to be at the very center of everything, filling everyone with his divine power and grace. And all people come to the full stature of Christ. Thus it glorifies the Father. Are you with me? I'm still growing. Romans 12, verse 3. For by grace that was given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think yourself more highly than you ought to think, but think soberly, each one according to the measure of the faith that God has assigned. That God has given you something. Don't use that to elevate yourself over everybody else. Let the grace of God bring you low. You with me? For as it is in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. Why do we need grace? Because the person who doesn't have your gift needs your grace. Because they're not going to operate the way you do. And you're not going to operate the way they do. So the goal is not to have a contention about differences of operation. The goal is to have enough grace to influence their heart to such a degree through your gift that the results being seen in their life. It's not about who's right and wrong. Because certain gifts actually are somewhat opposed to one another. And that makes unity all the more impossible. Which makes it all the more an issue of God's glory. How do these two people who completely disagree and butt heads all the time still love one another and serve one another? Because we're of one body. And we're no longer trying to prove who's right and wrong. We're trying to influence one another's hearts the way God influenced ours. I didn't have to say it. Thank you for helping me on that. You have different gifts, verse 6, that differ according to the grace that's given to us. Let us use them. <laughs> that's really simple. Some of you need to use them. Problem is, is that when you start using them, it's going to cost you something. You cannot use your gift and come out with the same percentage of yourself as you went in. There'll be a little less of you in order to use that gift to give somebody else a little more of Jesus. It'll cost you. But use it. Because every time there's a little less of you, your prayer to be like him is fulfilled. In service, verse 7, if our serving, then serve. The one who teaches, teach. If one that exhorts, let him exhort. 
The one who contributes, whether it's in generosity or money or encouragement, let him contribute. In generosity, the one who leads, let him lead with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy, let him do it with cheerfulness. You see this. You say, what is my gift? If you pursue being like Jesus, your gifts will pursue you. They'll just come out of you. And you'll go, did, did I do that? And the Holy Spirit looks like, well, technically it was both of us, but yes. Does this make sense? See, the difference of gifts is so that we depend, we're dependent upon one another. Let's not get lost in our train of thinking. Why is Paul addressing the grace and the gifts? Because the gifts are next in his teaching. Do you understand how much of a detriment it would be for him to give you the, the, the five-fold offices and their operation before the instruction of how to operate in them? <laughs> this is why it is in chapter 4, not chapter 1. Do you know what's in chapter 1? The power of your acceptance in Messiah Jesus and the unwavering adoption he gave you the moment you pledged allegiance to his name. That's what's in chapter 1. And you need that before you can get to here. I'm teaching beyond some of your places of actual existence because some of you are still in chapter 1 in your life. You're still wrestling with the idea that he loves you, that he's adopted you, and he can never disown you. And the fact that you fell away from him brought to you a more secure standing with him than if you would have never fallen away in the first place. That's in chapter 1. Maybe you should go back and listen to it. Quickly, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4. Now there are a variety of gifts, but one spirit. Do you realize we're all dominated by the same power regardless of our differences? The Holy Spirit. I need you to operate your gift. I need you to show me what it's like to be a servant, to be a teacher, to be a person who's endowed with hospitality. Because I'm not. Like, I have to remind myself to get somebody a cup of water if they come to my house. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. You want some drink? I'm sorry, we've been sitting here for 15 minutes. I'm not that way. Naturally, I've had to learn how to do that. Some of you, like somebody comes over to your house and like everything's perfect and the candles are lit and there's like a five-course meal and desserts. That I'm like, I walk in, I'm like, God, that's so impressive. Like, how do you do that? Like, like, I can't even match what you put on the table in my clothing. Like, it's, it's beautiful. I need your gift operating in the grace of God. So I can see that beautiful side of Father that I'll never know in my own gift. I need you. You need me. Many gifts. 
one spirit. And if we're all listening to that same spirit, we will listen to the service that he's requiring of us of one another, even though we differ on how we might do something. Do you know how many church splits happen because people don't operate in this principle right here? The most immature thing you could ever do is see life through the lens of your gift. Because when we get to heaven, apostles won't be apostles, prophets won't be prophets, evangelists won't be evangelists, teachers won't be teachers, pastors won't be pastors. We will all be the sons of the almighty living God. So as we are there, so must we be in this world. So when it comes down to a difference of gifts, we bail on it for the sake of the family and we defer even if we feel like somebody else is wrong. Because then we start to know the nature of how God works, that when something's wrong and we trust God in it, the wrong will produce a more likeness of Christ in us than if we would have done it right. Somebody need to rewind that in the future. Somebody in the future is listening to this, rewind that and listen to that again. Did you do it? No, I'm just... <laughs> They're chuckling too. Okay. Each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Verse 7. One is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. To another, the utterance of knowledge. According to the same Spirit. Do you realize wisdom and knowledge are not the same thing? We think they are. They are not. Both desperately need each other. Wisdom and knowledge need to be tied together at the hip. To another faith, gifts of faith by the same Spirit. You know what that does? When it, that means when you see somebody operate in a tremendous gift of faith, you no longer go, well, I'm, I'm so terrible because I don't ever believe like they do. And I just, I'm full of doubt and I'm nothing and I'll never be like they are. Woe is me. I'm so sick of myself because I can't do anything right. That's the enemy's plan to see the differences of the body. But when you see things through the lens of the spirit and you see something in someone operating in the gift of faith, you know that's not only your brother in Christ, your sister in Christ, but it's also a member of your body. So when you see that, you go, whoa, God, you're amazing. I get to share in this because I'm connected to them. Do you realize that if you believe that you're connected to gifts that you can't operate in, you get the same reward because you're a part of the same body? Instead of being jealous of those things, you now enter into encouragement of those issues because now you're joined to those things and you receive the same reward. You say, well, I don't believe in that. Well, then how come wives get the same reward that the husbands do and the husbands get the same reward that the wives do? Because they are. Paul says we're baptized into one body. So when I see you operating in a gift that I can't do that overshadows my own, I'm like, wow. Such an amazing thing to witness. Get them. Go. And you just pray that they don't get taken down by 
what takes down so many people who operate in power, and that's pride. Because it's all by one spirit. The same spirit that gives the apostle the ability to use words in such a way that men's hearts are struck on fire is the same spirit over the person who's cleaning the bathroom. And that same spirit has no degree of difference between the two. To another working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another ability to distinguish between spirits. Verse 10, to another various kinds of tongues and interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and same spirit who appropriates to each one individually as he wills. Just as the body is one and has many members, all members of the same body through many are one body. And so it is with Christ. See, we're reading the words of Paul to the Romans, but the same thought process is what he's writing to the Ephesians. Do you get this? Does this, does, this, does this ring true for you? Verse 8 of Ephesians 4. Now we're there. When he went up to the highest place, he led away many prisoners and gave gifts to people. In another translation, it says, Wherefore he says, When he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Do you realize it was his ascension over those powers, living above them in that reality of, 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 of uh, victory that caused him to be able to receive back what was stolen from us? And when he received that back to himself, he freely gave it back to the church. And that's manifested in the fivefold offices and all these gifts that are given. See, the enemy just didn't steal your unity with God in the beginning. He also stole your gifts. Think about it. When they were building the temple in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit had to overshadow men to teach them how to work certain elements of gold and wood and stone. Even so much to this day that they still don't know how they built certain elements of that. They used so much gold in certain places that the architectural strength wouldn't even hold up because gold is such a soft metal, yet it held. By the influence of the Holy Spirit, these men had to be given their gifts back momentarily to build the temple of God because they were taken from them by the powers of darkness. You see this? You, you follow what I'm saying? So how much more when God's building his temple in us do we also need those gifts operating underneath the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can build this temple in unity and faith and mercy and grace because God gave us the gifts back. Do you understand that statement that he ascended on high? I wish the church to get this one truth. That if Jesus is up there above all the things that are rampaging through your head, then you're with him. Does this make sense to you? All right, next verse. Before we... Before we read this, I want to read verse, a verse in Psalms that actually Paul's quoting in Ephesians 4. He says, it's Psalm 68, 18. It says, you have ascended on high. This is so powerful. This is before, listen, this is before this happened. The prophetic reality that God's saying, I am going to dominate everything that's going to future dominate you. In the Davidic heart of David, he begins to release this. Or the psalmist. And he says, you have ascended on high. Like he sees this. 
you have led captivity captive. Think about that. You have received gifts for men. This is a prophetic statement. You've taken back all the gifts and you've given them back to your people. For the rebellious also, that the Lord might dwell among them. See, part of the Lord dwelling among, amongst us is us fully operating in the gifts he's given. Because they're his gifts given to us. When we operate them, he's fully dwelling amongst us. He's fully dwelling amongst us in the office of service, the office of prophecy, the office of teaching, the office of this, the office of that, and no gift lacking. God fully revealed through all of his sons. With me? Okay. So he dealt with powers and principalities in the heavens and led them into captivity. What has put you in captivity in the past in your life has already been put on display and has already been stripped and defeated. The devil's a narcissist. He projects his own reality onto you. He's stripped of his powers, so if he can get you to believe he is too, you are too, then you share with him in his torment. That's why unbelief is so dangerous. See, he led, he led what bound us into its very own bondage. See, let me say it this way. Do you know how fear feels when it hits you? What nobody's told you is this, is that fear feels that way all the time. You understand what I just said? The spirit of fear feels what you feel when fear comes upon you all the time. It's tormented. And the only thing it can do is project its reality on you and make you suffer like it does. Why? Because fear is afraid of eternal damnation. And it hates you. Because you're going to experience eternal happiness. This is spiritual warfare. You understand? He led away what we often allow ourselves to be led into. See, the the enemy now stands naked in shame with no covering of power from man upon him. He took our covering and our power in the beginning which is why God had to clothe us. Jesus took it back in the end. And now when he did that, he stripped the devil. In other words, that's a nude experience. He's laying open and bare. And Jesus gives us the right to be clothed again. And the devil despises that reality. that He's running around naked and you're clothed in the love of God. So the only thing he can do is get you to believe that you're not. See, the enemy now stands naked in shame. See, God, Jesus made a public display Literally dragging naked the enemies of his name and of his people before all the powers of the air and the angels in heaven and the men on the earth. He drugged them by the scruff of their neck, naked and defeated, and held them. He made a public display of depression, of anxiety, of fear, of hopelessness, of torment, sorrow and death and lust and greed and division and anger and pain. He made a public display of all these things. Bitterness and unforgiveness. He stripped it of its power. So why do we let it work in us? 
See, when you deny these things the right to project themselves onto your nature, then when you get to chapter 6 and then get to stand upon the word of God in your life, you'll realize there is no battle to win. There's only one to hold. See, it should give you hope that unbelief can't believe. The spirit of unbelief has no ability to believe. And it despises you for your ability to have faith. So the best it can do is press itself on you through lying circumstances that will all be washed away one day anyway. Don't agree. Stand. Faith in the grace of our Father releases us to His goodness just as it released us to His salvation. You understand what I'm saying? So do you see what's happening here? Paul, before Ephesians 6, is showing us the defeated powers of darkness. That way when we get there, we're not having to teach on anything other than just like, well, I guess we better just do everything we learned. Verse 9, he ascended. What does it mean? He also first descended to the lower parts of the earth. Nothing. He fills everything. The height, the breadth, the width, the depth, the length. Christ fills it all. Hell, heaven, everything. The psalmist says, where will I go to escape your presence? If I go to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, you are there. <laughs> he's everywhere. Now he's not just everywhere. He's in you. That's amazing. Amen. How does he fit in this frail, decrepit, little piece of flesh? I don't know, but he custom made it to be that way because that's what he wanted, not because of what I was worthy of. That he would desire me that much. I don't. God, you're amazing. Proverbs 30, verse 4, such a powerful verse. See, what Paul's mirroring here in Ephesians 4, 9 is this proverb that he was grown up under and lived and memorized. <laughs> but now we have the answer. This was the son of David asking the question that plagued mankind. But now... Is fulfilled. Who has ascended to heaven and come down? This was a rhetorical question. No one. No one can go up there and come back. If they go up in the frailness of their flesh, they'll surely be destroyed. If they go up in the purity of their spirit, surely they won't return. No one will come up and come back down. Nobody loves that much. But Jesus went up and he left the wonder and the glory and the power and the presence and the peace and the happiness and the fulfillment of all of heaven to come back down to the putrid filth and decay and hate and anger and lust and despair and unbelief and vile spitting human beings 
Only one. He asked the question, who will ascend and who will descend for us? Who gathers the wind in his fists? Who can control the spirit of God? Who has the authority to tell the Holy Spirit where to go and what to do? Who has bound the waters together in a garment? Who can hold what's impossible to hold in something that can't hold it? Who has established all of the ends of the earth and knows the boundaries of all time and all the mysteries of all creation? What is his name? His name is Jesus. It can be put upon your lips right now. What is his son's name? This is the cry of Paul in verse 9 of chapter 4. Go back to it. Who has ascended to heaven and come down? Who has gathered the wind in his fist? This is what Paul's saying. He says, now that he's ascended, what is it also that he both came back down to the lower parts of the earth? Verse 10, this also means that the one who went deep into the earth who descended is the same one who ascended above all the heavens so that he would fill everything, including your mouth. So crazy to me that God fills heaven. He fills earth. He fills hell. But he very rarely fills the mouths of his own people. You realize the honor to put the name of Jesus on your lips? I want one of the worship team, Rebecca, if y'all could come up here. If you can find that song. Is she back here? She's in the back. Maybe somebody can get her. The honor. Because see, in the Hebrew language, they didn't even say the name. They wouldn't say the name. They wrote it out and left letters out to honor the name. And now it says everyone who names the name of Christ, will be saved. He said, I'm giving you the right to put my name on your lips again. You know that song, Jesus, Jesus, Holy and Anointed One? Your name is like honey on my lips. Your spirit is like water my soul your word shows me where I need to go as she's getting ready to sing that in Paul in Ephesians 1 which we talked about just a minute ago what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe 119 that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of heavenly places Far above all rule, all authority, all power, far above all dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in every age to come. He put all things under his feet and he gave him his head over all things to the church who is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything. That is you. Paul 
Paul says the mystery of the gospel, what confused mankind from ages and generations to come was Christ in you. That's the mystery that he now fills you and chose you. And yet we live lives as if he's still out there. When he broke that veil and tore it, not because he was letting us in, but he was coming out to us to find us, to chase us, to move us into his power. That Christ tore the veil so Father could get out and come and find us on our own road. I just want to take a few minutes if you guys are okay with this. If this has moved your heart, it's not me, it's the Lord. And if it's moved your heart, He wants to do something in you. He doesn't want to see you stay where you're at. So if it's moved your heart, I want you to come forward and sing this song and put your name on His, your, his name on your lips. And if you need prayer, we'll pray over you. We need grace. We need to walk in the power of the Almighty. We need to take the honor and the privilege to say His name. It's the name that governs everything. When you sing that name over your circumstances, you sing it over your wife, you sing it over your kids, you have no idea what you're releasing. The power you're letting go into people when you just sing the name over Him. Who gathers the wind in his fists? Who tells the spirit where to go? Jesus. And he said, I want you, Holy Spirit, to go and fill my people. Let you just raise your hands and say, Jesus, I want to be filled with your spirit. Come on, lift your hands. Father, we thank you for your grace. We receive it by faith. Continue to move upon our hearts so that we might move upon the heart of others. Move in the manifold wisdom of God. That we would be the church that you always intended but yet has never been fully manifested. You would look upon us, Father, and see a pure and spotless bride with our lamps full and our wicks trimmed and our oil in excess, waiting, bringing others into the same season that we're in and redeeming time in the lives of people around us so that they might know the love of Messiah Jesus as we do. Give us grace and wisdom to move and to speak and to live as we establish and demonstrate your kingdom and you protect us with your blood and your power. I bless every home, I bless every marriage to come underneath the authority of the love of God. I bless every child represented here to come into the fullness of the adoration of Abba. 
you mark them God for your purposes we appreciate you father we give you all glory we do not take it lightly for your presence to be among us so humbled and thankful renew our strength as we wait upon you to move in every circumstance to see your wonder and your favor over our life and we ask this in Jesus name amen thank you guys for being here with us this morning